0: A Modern Cinderella by Louisa May Alcott Among green New England hills stood an ancient house, many gabled, many roofed and quaintly built, but picturesque and pleasant to the eye, for a brook ran babbling through the orchard that encompassed it about, a garden plot stretched upward to the whispering birches on the slope, and patriarchal elms stood sentinel upon the lawn as they had stood almost a century ago when the revolution rolled that way and found them young. One summer morning, when the air was full of country sounds, of mowers in the meadow, blackbirds by the brook, and the low of kine upon the hillside, the old house wore its cheeriest aspect, and a certain humble history began. And? Die. And a head, brown-locked, blue-eyed, soft-featured, looked in at the open door in answer to the call. Just bring me the third volume of Wilhelm Meister. There's it. It's hardly worthwhile to rouse such a restless ghost as I, when I'm once fairly laid. As she spoke, Di pulled up her black braid, stumped the pillow of the couch where she was lying, and with eager eyes went down the last page of her book. Nan? Yes, Laura, replied the girl, coming back with the third volume for the library cormorant, who took it with a nod. "'still too content upon the confessions of a fair saint "'to remember the failings of a certain plain sinner. "'Don't forget the Italian cream for dinner. "'I depend upon it, for it's the only thing fit for me this hot weather.' "'And Laura, the cool blonde, disposed the folds of her white gown "'more gracefully about her, "'and touched up the eyebrow of the minerva she was drawing. "'Little daughter?' "'Yes, father?' Let me have plenty of clean colors in my bag, for I'm at once, and some of you bring me a glass of cider in about an hour. I shall be in the lower garden. The old man went away into his imaginary paradise and nan into that domestic purgatory on a summer day, the kitchen. There were vines about the windows, sunshine on the floor, and order everywhere, but it was haunted by a cooking stove. That family altar whence such varied incense rises to appease the appetite of household gods, before which such dire incantations are pronounced to ease the wrath and roe of the priestess of the fire, and about which often linger saddest memories of wasted temper, time, toil. Nan was tired of having risen with the birds, hurried, having many cares those little happy housewives never knew, and disappointed in a hope that hourly dwindled, peaked, and pined. She was too young to make the anxious lines upon her forehead seem at home there, too patient to be burdened with the labor others should have shared, too light of heart to be pent up when earth and sky were keeping up live holiday. But she was one of that meek sisterhood who, thinking humbly of themselves, believed they are honored by being spent in the service of less conscientious souls whose careless thanks seemed quite reward enough. To and fro she went, silent and diligent, giving the grace of willingness to every humble or distasteful task the day had brought her. But some malignant sprite seemed to have taken possession of her kingdom, for rebellion broke out everywhere. The kettles would boil over most obstreperously, the mutton refused to cook with the meek alacrity to expect it from the nature of a sheep, the stove with unnecessary warmth of temper would glow like a fiery furnace. The irons would scorch, the linens would dry, and spirits would fail, and spirits would fail, though patience never. Nan tugged on, growing hotter and wearier, more hurried and more hopeless, till at last the crisis came, for in one fell moment she tore her gown, burnt her hand, and smudged the collar she was preparing to finish in the most unexceptionable style. Then, if she had been a nervous woman, she would have scolded. Being a gentle girl, she only lifted up her voice and wept. Behold, she watereth her linen with salt tears, and bewaileth herself because of much tribulation. But lo, help cometh from afar. A strong man bringeth lettuce with to stay her, plucketh berries to comfort her withal, and clasheth cymbals that she may dance for joy. The voice came from the porch. And with her hope fulfilled, Nan looked up to greet John Lord, a house friend, who stood there with the basket on his arm. And as she saw his honest eyes and lips and helpful hands, the girl thought this plain young man the comeliest, most welcome sight she had beheld that day. How good of you to come through all this heat, and not to laugh at my despair, she said, looking up like a grateful child as she let him in, "'I only obeyed orders, Nan, "'for a certain dear old lady had a motherly presentiment "'that you had gotten to a domestic whirlpool "'and sent me as a sort of life-preserver. "'So I took the basket of consolation "'and came to fold my feet upon the carpet of contentment "'in the tent of friendship. "'As he spoke, John gave his own gift in his mother's name "'and bestowed himself in the wide window-seat "'where morning glories nodded at him, and the old butternut set pleasant shadows dancing to and fro. His advent, like that of Orpheus and Hades, seemed to soothe all unpropitious powers with a sudden spell. The fire began to slacken, the kettles began to lull, the meat began to cook, irons began to cool, the clothes began to be halved, the spirits began to rise, and the collar was finished off with most triumphant success. John watched the change, and, though a lord of creation, abased himself to take compassion on the weaker vessel, and was seized with a great desire to lighten the homely tasks that tried her strength of body and soul. He took a comprehensive glance about the room, then, extracting a dish from the closet, proceeded to imbue his hands in the strawberry's blood. "'Oh, John, you needn't do that. I shall have time when I've turned to meat. "'Made the pudding, and done these things.' "'Ee, I'm getting on finely now. "'You're a judge of such matters, isn't that nice?' "'As she spoke, Nan offered the polished absurdity "'for inspection with innocent pride. "'Oh, that I were a caller to sit upon that hand,' Sighed John, adding argumentatively. "'As to the berry question, "'I might answer it with a gem from Dr. Watts, "'relative to Satan and idle hands, but... "'will merely say that as a matter of public safety "'you'd better leave me alone, "'for such is the destructiveness of my nature, "'that I shall certainly eat something hurtful, "'break something valuable, "'or sit upon something crushable, "'unless you concentrate my energies "'by knocking on these young fellows' hats "'and preparing them for their doom.' "'Looking at the matter in a charitable light, "'Nan consented and went cheerfully on with her work, "'wondering how she could have fought ironing and infliction "'and been so ungrateful for the blessings of her lot. "'Where's Sally?' asked John, "'looking vainly for the functionary who really pervaded that region "'like a domestic policewoman. "'A terror to cats, dogs, and men. "'She has gone to her cousin's funeral and won't be back till Monday. "'There seems to be a great fatality among her relations.' "'before one dies or comes to grief in some way about once a month. "'But I don't blame poor Sally "'for wanting to get away from this place now and then. "'I think I could find it in my heart "'to murder an imaginary friend or two "'if I had to stay here long.' "'And Nan laughed so blithely it was a pleasure to hear her. "'Where's Di?' asked John, "'seized with a most unmasculine curiosity all at once. "'She is in Germany with Wilhelm Meister.' But, though lost to sight, to memory clear, for I was just thinking, as I did her things, how clever she is to like all kinds of books that I don't understand at all, and to write things that make me cry with pride and... Yes, she is a talented dear, though she hardly knows a needle from a crowbar, and will make herself one great blot one of these days, when the divine Aflatus descends upon her, I'm afraid... "'and Nan rubbed away with sisterly zeal "'at Di's forlorn hose and inky pocket handkerchiefs. "'Where is Laura?' proceeded the Inquisitor. "'Well, I might say that she was in Italy, "'for she is copying some fine thing of Raphael's or Michelangelo's "'or some great creature's or other, "'and she looks so picturesque in her pretty gown, "'sitting before her easel, "'that it's really a sight to behold.' and I've peeped two or three times to see how she gets on. And Nan bestirred herself to prepare this dish, wherewith her picturesque sister desired to prolong her artistic existence. "'Where's your father?' John asked again, checking off his answer with a nod and a little frown. "'He is down in the garden, deep in some plan about melons, the beginning of which seems to consist in stamping the first proposition in Euclid all over the bed.' "'and then poking a few seeds into the middle of each. "'Why, Mr. Dear, I forgot it was time for the cider. "'Wouldn't you like to take it to him, John? "'He'd love to consult you. "'And the lane is so cool, it does one's heart good to look at it.' "'John glanced from the steamy kitchen to the shadowy path "'and answered with a sudden assumption of immense industry. "'I couldn't possibly go, Nan. "'I have so much on my hands.' "'You'll have to do it yourself. "'Mr. Robert of Lincoln has something for your private ear, "'and the lane is so cool it will do one's heart good to see you in it. "'Give my regards to your father, "'and in the words of little Mabel's mother, with slight variation, "'tell the dear old body this day I cannot run, "'for the pots are boiling over and the mutton isn't done. "'I will, but please, John,' Go into the girls and be comfortable, for I don't like to leave you here, said Nan. You insinuate that I should pick at the pudding or invade the cream, do you? Ungrateful girl, leave me. And with melodramatic sternness, John extinguished her in his broad-brimmed hat and offered the glass like a poisoned goblet. Nan took it and went smiling away. For the line might have been the desert of Sahara, for all she knew of it. "'and she would have passed her father as unconcernedly as if he had been an apple-tree "'had he not called out, "'Stand and deliver, little woman!' "'She obeyed the venerable highwayman and followed him to and fro, "'listening to his plans and directions with a mute attention that quite won his heart. "'That hop-hole is really an ornament now, Nan. "'This sage-bed needs weeding. "'That's good work for you girls.' Now I think of it, uh, you'd better water the lettuce in the cool of the evening, after I'm gone. To all of which remarks Nan gave her assent, the hot pole took the lightness of a tall figure she had seen in the porch. The sage-bed, curiously enough, suggested a strawberry ditto. The lettuce vividly reminded her of certain vegetable productions a basket had brought, and the only sung in his cheeriest voice, Go home, go home. He is there. She found John, he having made a Freemason of himself, by assuming her little apron, meditating over the partially spread table, lost in amaze at its desolate appearance, one half its proper paraphernalia having been forgotten, and the other half put on awry. Nan laughed till the tears ran over her cheeks, and John was gratified at the efficacy of his treatment for her face had brought a whole harvest of sunshine from the garden, and all her cares seemed to have been lost in the windings of the lane. Nan, are you in hysterics?' cried Di, appearing book in hand. "'John, you absurd man! What are you doing?' "'I'm helping the maid of all work, please, Marm.' And John dropped a curtsy with his limited ape. Di looked ruffled, for the merry words were covert reproach, and with her usual energy of manner and freedom of speech, she tossed Wilhelm out of the window, exclaiming irefully, That's always the way. I'm never where I ought to be and never think of anything till it's too late. But it's all Getty's fault. What does he write books full of smart felinas and interesting meisters for? How can I be expected to remember that Sally's away and people must eat when I'm hearing the harper and little Mignon?" "'John, how dare you come here and do my work, "'instead of shaking me and telling me to do it myself. "'Take that toasted child away "'and fan her like a Chinese Mandarin "'while I dish up this dreadful dinner.' "'John and Nan fled like chaff before the wind, "'while Di, full of remorseful zeal, "'charged at the kettles and wrenched off the potatoes' jackets, "'as if she were revengefully pulling her own hair.' Laura had a vague intention of going to insist, but, getting lost among the lights and shadows of Minerva's helmet, forgot to appear till dinner had been evoked from chaos, and peace was restored. At three o'clock, Di performed the coronation ceremony with her father's best hat. Laura tied his old-fashioned neckcloth and arranged his white locks with an eye to saintly effect. Nan appeared with a beautifully written sermon, and suspicious ink-stains on the fingers that slipped it into his pocket. John attached himself to the bag, and the patriarch was escorted to the door of his tent with a triumphal procession which usually attended his outgoings and incomings. Having kissed the female portion of his tribe, he ascended the venerable chariot, which received him with audible lamentation as its rheumatic joints swayed to and fro. "'Goodbye, my dears,' "'I shall be back early on Monday morning, "'so take care of yourselves, "'and be sure you all go and hear Mr. Hammerboy preach tomorrow. "'My regards to your mother, John. "'Come, Solon.' "'But Solon merely cocked one ear, "'and remained a fixed fact, "'for a long experience "'had induced the philosophic beast to take for his motto, "'the Yankee Maxim. "'Be sure you are right, then go ahead.' "'He knew things were not right.' Therefore, he did not go. Oh, by the way, girls, don't forget to pay Tommy Mullen for bringing up the cow. He expects it tonight. And I don't sit up till daylight or let Laura stay out in the dew. Now, I believe I'm off. Come, Solon. But Solon only cocked the other ear, gently agitated his mortified tail, as premonitory symptoms of departure Never stirred a hoof, being well aware that it always took three cums to make a go. Bless me, I've forgotten my spectacles. Probably shut up in that volume of Herbert on my table. Very awkward to find myself without them ten miles away. Thank you, John. And don't forget to water the little lettuce, Nan, and don't overwork yourself, my little Martha. Come, at this juncture, Solon suddenly went off like Mrs. Gamp, in a sort of walking swoon, apparently deaf and blind to all mundane matters, except the refreshments awaiting him ten miles away, and a benign old pastor disappeared, humming Hebron to the creaking accompaniment of the bulgy chaise. Laura retired to take her siesta, and made a small carbon arrow of herself by sharpening her sister's crayons, and die as a sort of penance for past sins, "'tried her patience over a piece of knitting "'in which she soon originated a somewhat remarkable pattern "'by dropping every third stitch and seeming ad libitum. "'If John had been a gentlemanly creature with refined taste, "'he would have elevated his feet and made a nuisance of himself "'by indulging in a weed. "'But being only an uncultivated youth, "'with a rustic regard for pure air and womankind in general, "'he kept his head uppermost and talked like a man.' "'instead of smoking like a chimney. "'It will probably be six months before I sit here again, "'tangling your threads and maltreating your needles, Nan. "'How glad you must feel to hear it,' he said, "'looking up from a thoughtful examination "'of the hard-working little citizens "'of the industrial community settled in Nan's work-basket. "'No, I am very sorry, "'for I like to see you coming and going as you used to, "'years ago.' "'And I miss you very much when you are gone, John,' answered truthful Nan, whittling away in a sadly wasteful manner. As her thoughts flew back to the happy times, when a little lad rode a little less in a big wheelbarrow, and never spilt his load, when two brown heads bobbed daily side by side to school, and the favorite play was Babes in the Wood, with die for a somewhat peckish robin to cover the small martyrs with any vegetable substance that lay at hand.' Nan sighed as she thought of these things, and John regarded the battered thimble on his fingertip with increased benignity of aspect as he heard the sound. When are you going to make your fortune, John? And get out of that disagreeable hardware concern, demanded Di, pausing after an exciting round and looking almost as much exhausted as if it had been a veritable pugilistic encounter. "'I intend to make it by plunging still deeper into that disagreeable hardware concern. "'For next year, if the world keeps rolling and John Lord is alive, he will become a partner.' "'And then, and then!' "'The color sprang up into the young man's cheek. "'His eyes looked out with a sudden shine, and his hand seemed involuntarily to close, "'as if he saw and seized some invisible delight. "'What will happen then, John?' asked Nan with a wondering glance." I'll tell you in a year, Nan. Wait till then. And John's strong hand unclosed, as if the desired good were not to be his yet. We'll continue our story in our next episode. I want to tell you that we are always looking out for new stories to read. You can email them to me, bigvoishay, at gmail.com. Remember to leave a review on iTunes. It helps to spread the word that this little show is putting people to sleep. Thank you so much for listening. Good night. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this (laughs) program.